Welcome to the Tassie Athlete Podcast. My name's Dominic, I'm your host and the founder of TA. Today we're joined by Launceston-based mountain bike rider Izzy Flint, who shares her journey with concussion following a crash in New Zealand. I'm Izzy Flint, I'm 18, I'm a mountain biker and I'm from Launceston. I'm pretty lucky to be able to call Tassie home. I think we've got some amazing opportunities here. Hey Izzy, welcome, thanks for joining us and um, thanks for being one of the first athletes on the Tassie Athlete Podcast. It's an exciting venture for us here at TAHQ. Now we've spoken to you before about your concussion that you sustained in New Zealand with your, your mountain bike crash. It's a really good segue just to mention that today's podcast is powered by the Brain Injury Association of Tasmania. I know you've done some work with Biad in the past is in terms of raising awareness around concussion and around those sports related injuries for young people and I think it's really relevant to have them on board today. But before we jump into all of that, I want to take a, a bit of a step back and hear about your story about how you got into cycling and what it is that you love about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I got into cycling when I was 12 or 13. Um, I first started on the velodrome riding a track bike. My dad said to me, why don't you come up and have a turn? And um, I was kind of a person that doesn't miss out on much. I always liked to be involved in everything. And I was like, absolutely. So I jumped up and I fell in love with it straight away. Um, from a little track, I had just rode around in like tights and a t-shirt. I um, instantly fell in love with it. And I sort of just progressed through from there. And um, yeah, eventually found my love for the dirt and sort of haven't looked back since. You started on the velodrome and as we well know, you made the move to the mountain bike and there's quite a contrast between the two. So like, how, how does this actually come about? I think one of my best mates actually said to me, why don't you come and do a mountain bike race? And I'd kind of palmed him off and palmed you off for so long. And then I finally cracked it and was like, okay, I'll come and do it. And it was a Tasmanian all schools event. So it's just a little local, local schools event. I rode my mum's bike. It was just sort of everything was wrong about it, but I loved it. Um, and yeah, I think it was one of those things where I did it and just like instantly felt like it was where I belonged. Yeah, it was, it was really quite cool. And I just think everything kind of progressed from there. And when we delve into the differences between the two, like velodrome to, to mountain bike, was there anything specific that really did appeal to you? Like, was it the technical side of being on the dirt trails or anything like that? I think it was probably a combination of everything, really. I, I love being outdoors, I always have. So that was a massive bonus. But I also just think how technically challenging it was. It It's an individual sport, so it's so reflective upon yourself so everything is in your control whether it be the trail your skills how fit you are where you choose to ride the line all that kind of stuff it's completely in your control so I felt like that I like to be in control of things so it felt easier to be in control of that than what it did when you got to worry about what your other competitors are doing if they crash around you and all that kind of stuff on the velodrome I just kind of felt like I don't know it was a easier to push myself in an environment where I was only racing myself Sitting here thinking to myself back to when we did do our photo shoot for the Tassie Athlete out at the main range and you mentioned in particular how there is such a careful balance between wanting to push yourself and and get as close to that limit as you can but also not wanting to go over because some of the, the consequences of that can be devastating. Can you tell me a little bit about that balance? Yeah, I'm definitely someone who doesn't do things by halves. I do everything full tilt and I think mountain biking is the same as that. But I guess there's kind of some pretty big consequences if you do do come off on the bike, which I think anyone who's ridden off-road knows that. It's something we all experience. So I think for me, 
there's a fine line between being in control and being out of control. And I think that if you are too much in control, you aren't going fast enough to be the best. But if you're too far out of control, then you're on the verge of crashing. And that's usually when you come off second best. So I think for me, being 98% in control and 2% out of control is sort of what makes the perfect, perfect recipe for a race. That's a really interesting point that you make is because I'm sure there are athletes in Tassie out there who can relate so strongly to that notion of consequences and pushing the limit. I'm thinking of myself as a track athlete as well, that if, if there is something that goes wrong, one of the worst things that can happen is I'm going to implode or the legs are going to fill up with lactic and I'm going to really struggle down the home straight. But as you said, for you and for some of those more extreme sports out there, the consequences do look very, very different. When we talk about consequences, having known you for a a short while now, I do think back to your crush in New Zealand. Can you tell me a little bit about not only the crush, but the build-up towards that as well? Um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to to travel and race all over, which is something I'm very fortunate for. And yeah, um, in March 2019, I went to New Zealand to race an enduro World Series race, um, which is one of the highest level enduro races you can do, I guess, that's going around. I um, was fortunate enough to be able to qualify, doing some qualifying events throughout Australia. So I headed over there with a bunch of people to kind of just get to experience, I guess, international racing and just, I guess, develop further as a person, but also as an athlete um, and to try and get the best results I could. I'd actually had an amazing time. We were in Rotorua, which apart from this... <laughs> the sulfur smell that's like rotten eggs. It's a pretty cool place. And yeah, we just had an absolute ball of a week riding, exploring, just kind of, I guess, having fun and traveling a part of the world we hadn't been to before. Yeah. So we were doing, there's, there was six stages, I'm pretty sure. And you kind of have to practice each stage um, individually before you go and race them. And you get one run at each stage to look at it. So we had spent a couple of days running each line, each, sorry, each course and figuring out where we're going to ride. And we got to the last practice stage, which was the day before the race. It was the last run of the day. Everyone had had a massive day. We were all like high on life. We were all loving it. And I don't really remember what happened but I can remember up until a certain point on this track and I don't think I'll ever forget it uh, I can remember up until this exact point and I have no recollection of what happened after that and I guess that's probably where my concussion journey started. So can you tell me what you have managed to piece together um, from people that were there or from the medical professionals after the crash? What I've kind of pieced together versus, um, from what people have said and also little bits of flashes that I can have in what little memory I do have of it um, is that I ended up going headfirst over the handlebars, hit some kind of object, whether it was a tree, the ground, I'm not really sure, and actually ended up rolling down the embankment um, on the side of the trail, which doesn't sound all spectacular in the scheme of things, but um, it obviously was was the right impact at the right point in time for me to just, I guess, had have a really significant impact. So that impact that you're talking about, it's obviously a, a physical one. Whereas I know with brain injury, quite often the effects are cognitive or, you know, in your brain or behind the scenes. So were there any non-physical impacts that you experienced? As far as mountain bike injuries go, pretty uneventful. Nothing broken nothing spectacular. I walked away with whiplash and a concussion, which 
I guess on paper doesn't sound all that that harsh, but I think in reality it's one, it was the worst injury I've ever had um, and had to deal with the recovery period of time. And I think what was the most scary about it was when I did it, I can remember being in the buggy that was taking me to the, to the, meet the ambulance. I just remember the feeling of not knowing who I was, where I came from, any basic information. And I just remember sitting in the back of this buggy and the first aid lady was with me and I just looked at her and I just, I cried. I bawled my eyes out and I'm not a crier, but I was so petrified. I just had no, I guess, no comprehension of kind of what was going on. And I felt so alone in that that period of time. There was something about being so, I guess, isolated and not remembering just basic details that we've known our entire lives. That was probably the most scary part. Um, and then obviously those kind of symptoms progressed and continued with me for quite some time. Can I ask you a bit of a curveball question, Izzy? I think it takes a lot of courage for someone like yourself to be able to share the ins and outs of your journey with a concussion. How does talking about this make you feel, particularly given that you've taken such big steps to, to get back to where you are now and obviously get back on the bike? But I'm wondering, yeah, what, what sort of emotions do you feel recapping what happened and it obviously had a big impact not only on yourself but on your family and your friends. So can you tell me a little bit about how it makes you feel to, to talk about this? It makes me feel incredibly vulnerable. It's not necessarily a feeling I'm particularly comfortable with, but I think that I'm, uh, I guess, really passionate about helping other people so they don't have to feel the same way that I did. And I think if that means putting myself out on a limb, then that's something I'm prepared to do to try and help others. Um, and I think it also helps that I'm talking to you. You kind of know what my feelings are about this and about how much of a big deal it was for me to to share this with you because it was something that I'm not particularly proud of or confident in. So I think being able to talk to you about it is definitely, definitely helpful. Ever since that first time that we sat down and, and you opened up and shared your story, I've been in awe of yeah that courage that you have shown. And I think it's super important to raise awareness of a topic that it does get covered in the mainstream media, but quite often we only hear about at the time as opposed to those ongoing effects of concussion. So I think what interests me about concussion is quite often we hear terms such as fatigue or memory loss and things like that, but they tend to go straight over your head. So it makes it quite hard to picture those real life impacts that people with a brain injury experience. So what were those immediate impacts that you experienced as well as some of the long-term effects? Yeah, I think initially the feelings and I guess thoughts about not really knowing, I guess, where you are, who you are, with like just basic comprehension stuff that we, we should all know being humans. I think that's probably the most immediate impact is when you can't tell someone your name, where you come from, you know, what your date of birth is, all of that kind of stuff. I think that's probably the most immediate impact that I found, which is super scary because that stuff that is being drilled into us since the day we were born and just stuff we know by second nature. So I think when you don't have that, it's that scared and vulnerable feeling creeps up really quickly. And I think although I started to regain some of those thoughts pretty quickly, like within the first, you know, couple of couple of hours into like the night I did start to like I could remember what my name was and that kind of stuff but I've still got my hospital tag you know when you like get checked into a hospital and you have your wristband I've still got 
I, I can remember on that, all it says is it just says Izzy and then it just has not my last name spelt correctly and then it just has like 88, which is the number I used to live at and Fell Street, which is not where I lived. It was like the most irrelevant piece of information, but it was all I could give to them to, for them to like identify me. And it's, yeah, it's completely wrong, but it was like all I could give them, um, all I could piece together. So I think looking back, seeing that, it makes me realise, I guess, how much it affected me because to know to not know what your address is or to not know your date of birth, like that stuff that that you literally, have, you just know, like there's no thought put into that. Whereas when someone says, hey, like what's your date of birth? And you're like, um, I actually don't know. Like that's that's the weirdest feeling in the world. I actually remember something that really stuck with me from our initial chat was that when you were in New Zealand after the crash, that the medical team had actually said to you something like um, you'd, you'd be able to race the next day or I'm not sure if it was at that same competition or a little bit later, but that you'd actually be back on the bike really soon. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was really interesting. It was The hospital was super hectic. They had heaps and heaps of people there. They were super under the pump. So I think their need to just rush patients through and get them in and out so they could free the bed for someone else was um was kind of their priority. And I had the very first doctor after they'd done my scans and my blood work and all that kind of stuff. The very first doctor came back and I asked him because at this point in time, I didn't know, I guess, the severity of what I'd done. I was like, oh, do you think I can race tomorrow? And he was like, um, yeah, just see how you feel in the morning. Like, you know, make your own mind up. And at the time I took that with a grain of salt because, you know, I was so far out of it. It wasn't even funny. But I think that in itself kind of proves how much uh, concussion is not necessarily taken seriously all the time. Like to have a doctor say to you, yeah, like less than 24 hours, you could be right. And in hindsight, looking back on it now, like, look, it was over a nine month recovery for me to be able to go back and ride my bike. Like it was not even an option, but just that, I guess, ignorance around it um, was kind of constantly like a kick in the face when I kept getting that from doctor after doctor. And so there were these moments where you had sort of got your hopes up um, based on some of the feedback, whether that was to immediately get back on the bike or whether it was, yeah, just that things would be okay. Were there moments along the way where you thought, yeah, things are going to be fine, all good, only perhaps to, to learn otherwise? Yeah, definitely. I think I think concussion was two steps forward, three steps back on repeat for the whole time it took me to recover. It was so easy to overdo it. And I think because because it's not a physical injury, you know, like you can still walk, you can still move, like there's no physical restrictions. It was so easy to to overdo it. And by that, I mean, going to the supermarket and actually just having to be able to have a conversation with someone, that was enough to knock me for six. Or, you know, having to go drive in the car to the doctors, go to the doctors and come home again. Like I would come home and I would have to sleep because I would be so exhausted just from that much interaction. Not to jump about too much, but thinking about those real world implications of a concussion for you, you know, you, you were 16 when you had this concussion. So I can imagine it would have been super tough for you, you know, not only dealing with the effects yourself, but also how it impacted things such as your school, your relationship with your family, you know, communication with your friends. That must have been really tough. I think they impacted them far more than I would give them credit for at the time. But I think I was so, I don't even know what word to use. I think I was so far from myself that I didn't even know 
that I was really missing it, if that makes sense. I think I didn't have the comprehension to kind of figure out that I was missing school and that, that I was in effect falling behind. And it didn't seem like a massive priority for me purely because I didn't have, I guess, enough energy to be able to try and put time into that to, to even think about it. So I think that in itself kind of shows how much of an impact it had on me because I didn't even really realise what what was going on around me. But I guess in a sport aspect, that was sort of the same thing. Like, yeah, I didn't even have a have a want to ride my bike because I, I couldn't, like I physically couldn't. I don't think I could have coordinated myself to be able to get on a bike if I wanted to. So I think in the same kind of token, I didn't really, really know what I was missing because I couldn't even comprehend being able to do it. And definitely for the initial part anyway. And when you were at school or perhaps taking those baby steps or even just thinking about getting back on the bike, how was it How was it conveying what you were going through to your school friends or, or to your colleagues in sport? I know we often talk about concussion as being the tip of the iceberg, that the, the impacts uh, are only what's sort of above the surface, whereas what you're actually dealing with is absolutely monumental below. So how was that relationship um, with your peers both in the sport and in particular at school? And do you feel like they ever had a true understanding of what you're actually going through? Yeah, 100%. I don't actually think there was a single person that knew how I was feeling or what I was struggling with. I think my mum was probably the closest person to understanding and that's because she lived with me and held my hand the whole way through it. But I think from a, an outside perspective looking in, like uh, nobody had any idea what was actually going on. And whether that be my fault for not telling people, but I'm not the kind of person that's going to go around and, I guess, publicly speak about it. So I think in that respect, no one had any idea. Um, and I think that's kind of what made it so much worse was it, it was invisible. Like people couldn't look at me and and see that I that I had an injury. They know they just looked at me and saw Izzy the same as what I was before I had my crash. So I think that made it incredibly difficult just purely because no one... Not that you're after sympathy, but no one could even, no one even knew. And is there a particular example you can give is that sort of highlights that, that internal battle that you were going through, whether it is a situation where the memory loss just really did hit home or there was some difficulty with a, a relationship or with a friend. And, and just as an example to, to really highlight that what you're going through and that inability of others to, to really comprehend that? I, I go to say pretty, probably of both ends of the scale in terms of, look, my mum is my best friend. And I think I was super fortunate to be able to have her in my corner, um, knowing that she would help me and support me through anything. But by the same token, like she knows me better than anybody else in the world. And yet she couldn't even comprehend and know what was going on so to then try and have someone that knew me less well spent less time with me kind of I guess try and see that was really it didn't happen like no one no one ever got to see it so I think from a friendship perspective I think it sort of just became a matter of them like yeah they checked in on me in bits and pieces but because they didn't really know to the full extent like you know, you can explain to someone that you're struggling, but that's so much easier said than done. And I think, like, if I'd been hobbling around on crutches, um, that would be, people would be like, oh, okay, she's got an injury, like, we're going to take care of her, we're going to make sure she's okay, all that kind of stuff. 
And I don't think it was a, a lack of my friends not wanting to care. I just think it was a, I guess, an uneducation around concussion about what it's actually like. And unless you've lived through it, I don't think you've got any idea. Like even prior to my crash, I had no idea what concussion meant. Like, yes, I knew it was a head injury. I knew it happened to footballers, but I had never stopped to think that it could affect anybody. I think that's a, um, a really interesting point around that that lack of awareness that unless you've actually experienced that, it's such a powerful point that you mentioned. And that leads me to, to ask, what were some of those things that you were dealing with? I can't remember if, if it is something that we actually published, but something that, that stuck with me quite strongly when we did your article was, was that you said there was a massive amount of downtime that you couldn't actually be on your phone because of the impacts of the concussion. I can just imagine you lying there, probably just wanting to, to reach out to people or to chat to people or to kill some time, but you couldn't actually be on your phone. And and in particular, I think you talked about that loss of identity for you as well and how you weren't actually saw how, you know, not only you, but you know, people like your mum weren't actually sure both what and who this, this Izzy was that you were both dealing with. Yeah, so I think that a bit like any other injury, individually people handle that differently but I think for me feeling like I was disconnected from the world was probably one of the most significant impacts in terms of the fact that for brain injury they ask you to to not use screens so like not tv no phones that kind of stuff so even they even ask you not to read a book because your brain's like engaged to be able to read the words and understand it so I think when you can't be doing the things that you normally do in your day-to-day life like using your phone watching tv reading a book even simple stuff like cooking dinner all that kind of stuff when when you can't do any of that you literally are left with nothing like there is nothing to do and I think that was pretty difficult but also the fact of it didn't actually seem that difficult at the time because I was so much of a space cadet I was so far out of it that I kind of just like lounged around and slept because that's all that I could physically do. So I think as as difficult as it was, it was the only thing I was actually capable of doing. Um, I don't think I could have actually done it any differently, even if I wanted to. And I can imagine that was super frustrating for you, not being able to do the things that you were used to being able to do. Yeah, for sure. When anyone takes away something that you're used to doing, you're going to feel a little bit lost initially, I guess. It's something that you, you live by. So when someone says, hey, you can't do that, then it's definitely a big adjustment for you to make. I found it super frustrating because a lot of that, I felt like I was already disconnected enough from school and the world and the bike and people um, without then taking away, I guess, a heap of social media and that kind of stuff. I feel like that just disconnected me even more. I'm not sure whether this will make the final cut, but from some of our previous discussions, I I can see that you and your mum have a great relationship and that your mum is an absolute legend. Can you perhaps share a little bit about the role that your family or in particular your mum played for you once the dust settled in regards to your concussion and particularly what life is going to look like on the other side of that? Look, my mum is... She's awesome. She's she's real cool and we live life. Is she nearby? She's not. She's actually out for dinner at the moment. But um yeah, unfortunately she she would have loved to pop on and have a little chat. But no, she she's awesome. We live life on a pretty cool adventure together and I guess there's never a dull moment with either of us around, as you are well aware. But I think, yeah, when I she she understood to I guess as far degree as anyone possibly could, but she still didn't 
fully understand because she wasn't in my head. And I don't think no one ever could be in my head. So no one ever actually fully understood it. And I think, like we said before, if you haven't experienced it yourself, you've got absolutely no, no possible idea of what it's like. And even if you have, the way your body responds is different to the way someone else's body responds. So how I dealt with concussion and what my symptoms were can be different to what someone else's are. And I think that's also what's really challenging about it is that you feel everything feels so alone because even if you can find someone to relate to, it's never actually the same. Whereas, you know, if you've got a broken wrist in plaster and, you know, six months down the track, your mate ends up with a broken wrist in plaster, like they're pretty comparable injuries with pretty similar, I guess, timeframes of recovery and I guess consequences of what you can and can't do. Whereas I think with concussion, everybody responds so differently that that makes it 10 times harder to even know kind of where to look, which, how to handle it, what to do. But I think for me, my, my family are really important to me. Um, and I think they were the most help that I had through, through the time. They were kind of the best people that understood it as much as they could. And they did everything they could to understand it, which was something I was really grateful for because without that, who knows what might've happened. I don't think it's a, an injury that you can overcome on your own. And I think that's something that's probably really important people to know is that without a support network behind you, it's, it's incredibly difficult to try and deal with it. Like I actually don't think I would have been able to recover to any extent like what I have, if it wasn't for those people that supported me, whether they be, family, friends, people at the race who saw it and helped me at the time. Like without each of those people that played a role in my recovery, I don't think I would be where I am today. When you talk about your recovery too, when we were sitting down at the main range, it actually took me by surprise at how relatively recent the crush was for you. I've seen, I remember you actually sent them through actually. I remember you sent through some of the videos when we first connected over social media of you, you working on your balance and all those sorts of aspects and really that daily grind for you for rehabilitation and it looked like it was both physically and mentally bloody tough but I didn't quite understand until we had that full chat together about just how recent the crush actually was for you and when you think about that in hindsight what was that rehabilitation like for you and I guess that leads me to ask you know what does that look like for you now? The rehabilitation process for me was incredibly frustrating because all I wanted to do was get better and there was nothing I could do to make myself get better any faster. And I think that was something that I really struggled with because I'm someone who does stuff properly. So, you know, any possible thing that someone says, hey, do this, it might help. I was doing it. And I think the problem was no one could actually tell me what was going to help. It was a matter of time. And look, I don't have the biggest patient span. So I needed someone to be like, Yo is it's going to be six months it's going to be really hard but then you're going to come out and be okay whereas no one could tell me that and I think that was what made it so much harder was because I just didn't know where the end point was and I think as as an athlete we work to goals and to end dates and to races and events as pretty much like clockwork that's how we train that's how we I guess prepare our lives so when you haven't got an end date to be working towards or an end point it's sort of not that you lose motivation, but there's it, there's no, I guess, extra fire to be like, okay, this is what's going to happen, you know, like as of six months and I'm going to be better um, or, you know, I might get my plaster cut off or, you know, like there, there's a point in time that defines that you're starting to recover. 
Um, whereas with concussion, there's not that. And I think that was what I battled with the most for sure. And even simple things like learning how to balance again, that stuff that you kind of just take for granted that you can do. And then all of a sudden you have a significant injury like this and you're like, Oh, I can't do that anymore. And having to reteach yourself stuff that you've known how to do forever also feels like you're just going back to square one. And that's a demoralizing feeling when you, when you just know something for so long and then you just don't, and you can't really in effect know why you don't know it. You just don't sort of then have to, teach yourself to do that stuff all over again. It's, it's character building to say the least. As a, as a testament to your character and that character building, having seen you jump back on the bike, you absolutely hum pass and you're ridiculously fearless in your approach. So that's a, a testament to you. While we're on that note though, I'm intrigued at what the process was like for you to actually hop back on the bike for that first time because you know, not only is there everything going on in your life, in terms of the physical and, and that cognitive challenge that you're constantly dealing with. But I can only imagine, you know, there's an element of angst. I think that's the best word to, de- to describe it. But for you to actually clip back into the bike for the first time, that thing that's actually caused you all this pain? I think in some respects, it's probably a pretty good representation of what my personality is like, which I'm incredibly grateful for. But I'm when you love something, I don't think it can hurt you when you're still prepared to to go back to it. And I think this is this is pretty similar situation to that. Like I love riding my bike, pure and simple. Um, and I don't think there would ever be anything that would take that would change my mind on that. So I think that was probably what got me through. And that kind of sounds really corny, but I know this what I do and what I I guess what I've kind of chosen my hopeful career to be like is what I love and it's something I'm really passionate about. And I think that's what got me through to where I am today. And to, I guess, not overcome those fears. They're always going to be there, but to learn how to manage them better and how to, I guess, continue riding and racing around that fear that is always going to be there. I guess when anything hurts you, whether it be, you know, a relationship, a crash, whatever it is, whenever it hurts you, it's always going to be there. So I think it's just figuring out how to, I guess, move forward and continue on past that point. And I think for me, just learning and remembering, going back to basics, remembering why I love to ride my bike was probably the best place to start, which is what I did. Um, and I think that's probably what helped me the most. And leading up to that first time when you put the shoes back on and, and clip the helmet up and jump back on the bike... What was that like for you? Like, were you um, were you straight back into an hour slog around the trails, or were you on the road, or was it just a, a five minute cruise down the street? Yeah, it was. Um, it was frustratingly slow, which bugged me, but it was part of the process, and I had to do it. They do what's a return to sport recovery plan for a concussion it's part of your concussion management and with that they give you there's like a bunch of steps that you need to tick off before you can go to the next one and then it's it's so on and so on down the line until you're fully able to recover like you're fully recovered and able to go back to racing so for me I started with like five or ten minute rides on the indoor trainer where you know you're completely stationary locked in there's no way you can fall off and I did that for a little while and then I was like able to do that for a little bit longer and a little bit longer, you know, up to maybe half an hour or so and just seeing what my brain could cope with because clearly my body was capable of doing it, but it was about how my cognitive, I guess, ability to process that and to deal with it was what was the big, I guess, tipping point for it. Um, Because once you're out on the road, there are so many more, I guess, 
obstacles and then the road is only a halfway step to what the trails are like. So after I did uh, a good a good chunk of time, maybe at least a month on the indoor trainer, um, I was then allowed outside, but I wasn't allowed to ride. It had to be flat, so it couldn't be uphills or downhills because there was increased risk with both of those. Um, I wasn't allowed to go on my own because if I lost my balance and fell off, a secondary knock to the head can be can be fatal. So I think I was then yeah, able to do like, you know, little 20 minute rides outside with my mum by my side, making sure I stayed upright. And it was these tiny little baby steps that kind of kept just dragging the process out. And I could start to see the end goal at this point. Like they were like, once you pass these steps, you can then get to here. And, you know, once you've ridden on the road for a little while and ridden uphill and downhill and on your own, then you can go on the trails. And I could see it coming together, but it just felt like it was so far out of reach. Like, you know, from sitting on the trainer at like five minutes to being out to go for a mountain bike ride on my own felt like it was so far away. That's such a contrast because I was sitting there this morning having a coffee and as I tend to do, I flicked open Instagram and I saw that you and another one of our talented Tassie cyclists, Lauren Perry, both of you were there slogging it away in what looked to be near sub-zero Tassie temperatures. So it's obviously a testament to you in terms of jumping back on the bike. Looking back on that journey though, like whereabouts are you now in terms of not only your ambitions, but that entire process to get back to where you are now? Long is probably the best way to describe it, um, but rewarding nonetheless. I'm someone who loves the process of something. So I guess looking back on it now, seeing the process coming together of me recovering fully, giving it time, doing the step-by-step management of my concussion to then start training again and then in turn get back on the mountain bike. And I guess, I don't know, um, once I set my mind to something, it's usually pretty set in my ways um, about me achieving that. So I think from there, I just looked to make goals that weren't results-based, but that were more about me as a person um, and about developing my confidence and just getting back to, I guess, having that love and that passion just to fully live through that. I think that was probably what I, I guess, owe my most recent success to was the the steps and goals I put in place during my recovery, which were not results-based at all. They're about falling in love with my riding again and about falling, I guess, and following my dreams and my goals, even though I was, I guess, still had that fear around it. And I guess taking my new appreciation for being able to be alive and be able to ride my bike and I guess never taking anything for granted. I don't think I'll ever take anything for granted again. So I think those steps along the way, um, I think are what I can, I guess, owe my success to, to now. You mentioned before just how crucial to your journey and and to your recovery both your family and your friends were. So I wanted to know if there's a bit of a difference between your ambitions, say, before the crash and where that headspace sort of sits now. I guess for me, I don't know, there isn't isn't necessarily a, a goal that I've got in mind. I think I would like to be a professional cyclist and live that out till its fullest. And I guess to experience the world and and enjoy it, I think is probably where my ambitions lie. Like I would love to be a professional racer um, and to, to, I guess, dedicate my career to that. Um, that would be the ultimate dream. But I think it's, it's interesting now looking at it, I view it differently than what I did before my crash. I was so results driven about the fact that I needed to achieve this result to get to here, to get to there, which in some respects is still what needs to happen. But if I look at that through a different lens now, it seems far more achievable. And I think 
my, my most recent success is, is I guess, truth to that, that I didn't put a number in place and I didn't put a goal and a result in mind and yet I achieved, achieved the best results that I have. So I think in that respect, it, it's been a really good learning for me about how to best manage my, my motivation, my determination, all of those kind of things combined. For me, I'm all about the process. And if the process is right, the results will take care of themselves. And I've always, my mum has always told me that from the get-go, but I didn't really live by it um, because I, you know, it's not, not what most people do. And I think now that I have lived by it and seen and reap the rewards from it, um, I don't think I'll ever go back to, to being a results-driven person. Like I love winning, don't get me wrong. It's the most satisfying feeling I could probably get. But if the process is right, you know, the training's right, your diet's right, everything is right along the way then what will be will be. And if as long as you've given your best on the day, that's all that matters to me. Like I know that I will not finish, like I'll finish a race and it will be everything I've had to do that, whether I be first or last. And that's a successful day, whether regardless of what the number is. Not to put words in your mouth here, but it does sound like your approach both on the bike as well as off it is still carrying across those aspects uh, that, that are your strengths. And that have given you that success in the past and are so true to you as a person. But that now you're actually doing these things, you know, whether it's competing or your approach to school, even your friendships and training and and all those sorts of things. It's on your terms now. You're not, uh, you you don't have to sacrifice the small things. If you want to go for a four-hour ride, you can. Or if you want to go for a 30-minute spin with a friend, that you can. You don't feel that pressure to go down the traditional path of I have to do this that it's a little bit about balance and actually doing the things that make you happy yeah 100 percent um I think by the book is is the way it used to be done but I think everyone's capable of writing their own book and following their own rules I live my life a lot like that but training on the bike is the exact same thing like there has to be a really good balance between your physical and your mental health like you don't win a bike race the best bike race at the best bike racer doesn't necessarily win the race. It's who's in the right mind frame, in the right mental state, who's prepared the best that wins on the day. And I think that's pretty true to a lot of situations in life as well. I think that just because you're the smartest person or the strongest or the fittest doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the most successful. And I think that's something that I probably always knew but never really appreciated until until I had my experience with concussion. And I guess, yeah, I live my life very similarly to how I approach my, my bike and what I do on it. I do what I love and I take care of myself, whether that be recovery, you know, food, sleep, all that kind of stuff. But I don't think doing stuff by the book has ever really been my style and I don't think it ever will be. I tend to write my own rules about a lot of things. And I think in some respects, I've, I've finally found my place in the world and which in turn has led to finding my place on the bike. And I guess I'm really looking forward to where I can take that and hopefully achieve some bigger and better things. And for me personally, I'm more than happy to say this, that that's something that inspires me as well, you know, with my own sporting ambitions. But I can't help but take up the opportunity to throw a cheeky jab at you is. I was just wondering how much truth there there is behind you ordering just plain cups of hot water as opposed to coffee or tea when you do catch up with friends. Is, is this a thing? Yeah, it's, it's part of my book, you know. You guys need to get onto it. No, I am not a fan of tea and I'm not the biggest coffee drinker. So it doesn't really leave you many other options. I'm intolerant to dairy, so that kind of rules out like chai and hot chocolate. 
so I'm left with with hot water and most people would call it boring but you know it's about I guess appreciating the fact that you can still have a hot drink with your with your mates that you're catching up with and I guess still be a part of that um even though it's not the norm which I think is is something that I'll continue to do in regardless of how much fun you make of me in an incredibly roundabout way it sounds like this hot water thing is is sort of a summary of you like you're quite happy yet you get the same results as as everyone else but it doesn't have to be by the book it can be in a specific easy way yeah absolutely I think I'm my own authentic twist on a lot of things that I do and I think I'm in some respects grateful for the fact that I that I learned from my concussion experience and grateful that I got to have that experience, not necessarily for the effects that it had on me. I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but I think what I learned about myself and the takeaways from my concussion, I don't think I would have got to experience if I hadn't had such a traumatic experience with my concussion. So I think there's always a a different perspective of looking at things. And I think for me, I could have looked at my concussion as a massive negative and yeah, like it was really, really hard. I definitely won't lie about that. But I think true to true to my spin on everything, I took away the positives from it and I learned a bunch about myself, which I'm hoping that um, that I'll be a better person and a better athlete because of that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I can see that, you know, not only resonate through you as a person, but through your athletic endeavours on the bike too. And, all right, I've got two more quick questions for you. And the first one you sort of touched on before in terms of, how unique but special a place like Launceston or Tassie is. Can you tell me, it's a common question actually that we ask all the Tassie athletes, but can you tell me what it means to be an athlete that is from you know this beautiful place that we call Tassie? I think being in Tassie provides us with a pretty unique opportunity. We have some of the most amazing landscapes and places to explore. Um, and I'm fortunate enough that my sport is outside. So I get to explore our beautiful world, um, I guess doing the thing that I love, which I don't think I would be able to achieve in other places. I love the freedom that riding in Tassie gives to me. It's, you rock up to places and you feel like you might actually be the first person that's ever been there. You know, you're in the middle of the rainforest or you're smack bang in the middle of nowhere, but it, there's so much peace and tranquility with that. And I think it's something I've never experienced in any other part of the world. And I think I'm very grateful for that. Again, something we take for granted because we live in it daily, but, um, Tassie will always be pretty special to me. I have a little Tasmania around my neck. It'll always be there. I guess a true reminder of where I came from, regardless of where I am in the world. And yeah, I think for me, like this is where my family's from. This is where I'll always be from. And it's it's super sentimental in the, the aspect that we are so vastly different from the rest of Australia, but then also the world. We live in our own little bubble sometimes. And yeah, we might curse it every now and again for our freezing weather. But we are truly lucky to, to live in the place that we do and to have, I guess, the unique experiences that Tassie can provide. I feel like having reread your article on the Tassie Athlete website, one of the unique experiences that you've had through your success as a cyclist is that you're able to both encourage and inspire other females to, to take up the helmet and jump on the bike. And one of the key statements that I absolutely love having known you for a little while now, is just how much you actually own the term ride like a girl. (laughs) Can you elaborate on some of the things that you've done in terms of that female development? Like I think you mentioned that day out at Medina that you talked about last year and what it actually means to you to not only be a successful athlete on the bike, but a successful female athlete in Tassie. 
particularly in in mountain biking, it's a very male-dominated sport. So I think getting as many girls in and involved is something that I'm really passionate about. Look, don't get me wrong, I learn a lot from the boys and I always will learn a lot from the boys that I race and that I ride with. But I think developing females and getting a really good female representation within our sport is something that's really powerful. Look, when I was a kid doing something like a girl was seen as a bad thing you know like you throw like a girl you kick like a girl and then in turn you you ride like a girl and it was seen as this kind of pathetic you know like you're not good enough it's not far enough it's not strong enough all of that kind of stuff and I think if there's kind of one thing that I achieve in my my career it would be to prove to, to other young girls that riding like a girl is a really good thing yes we do it differently than the boys but that doesn't make it worse or worth any less it's just different And in some respects, I actually think we have to work a little bit harder because we're not quite as physically developed and we're not quite as, I guess, strong as what they are. So stuff does have to come a little bit harder for us. But I think developing the next crop of juniors and in effect the crop after that is really powerful. Um, So with through one of my sponsors, Medita Bike Park, we did a, um, we're doing some junior development days where we offer a free charge service to girls under the age of 18 to come and learn from some of the ambassadors about learning to ride your bike and just basic skills. And I think that's something that I'm really passionate about and I'm really lucky to have a platform such as Medina to be able to, I guess, showcase that. Yeah, I also did some some female... I work in a bike shop here in Lonnie and I do run some mechanic courses specifically for females. Mechanics is not something that's viewed very highly as a female and I live that firsthand through my interactions with customers. But... I think if I can have a little help in helping, I guess, females be able to do simple stuff like change their tyres or adjust their brakes or anything like that, if I can teach people and empower them to know how to do it for themselves, it gives us so much credibility. And I think with people sharing their knowledge and empowering other women to, to achieve that, I think that's something that, that I'll always strive to do um, and help out as much as I can. I'm fortunate enough to, I guess, have some really supportive people in my corner that have taught me how to do it. And I, in turn, feel like it's my turn to pass that on to the next people so that they can feel empowered and they can pass it on to the next people from there. It's just part of the stepping stone about developing females within our sport. I think that's such a a super testament towards you as a person and as an athlete because I remember when we released your article we had a heap of people commenting and, and messaging us directly to say, look, I actually didn't realize this about Izzy and I wasn't sure of the extent of the accident. And and I think that, that speaks volumes you know, to your courage to not only be able to open up about that, but the role that you do play in inspiring the next generation of, of cyclists and of mountain bike riders and of athletes here in Tassie. I think in a completely different way. Uh, I'm not sure who I've hassled more, whether it's yourself or fellow tear athlete Scotty Bowden, but um, much like the rest of, of Tasmania, during the COVID period, I went out and bought a road bike and I'm not sure who I owe more coffees to, but you know, you've been incredibly helpful for me, someone that's that's relatively new to cycling and, and to that scene. So to wrap things up, I'm interested to get your your input and your feedback on the Tassie athlete, you know, as a, as a medium and as a journal and you know, you were one of the first athletes that we had and I just wanted to know what the process was like for you and your thoughts, you know, given that the article is now out there and, you know, it was really successful and that you've got organisations like the Brain Injury Association, you know, wanting to work with you and, and what that experience was like actually sharing your story. The Tassie Athlete is a platform that enables people to see the stories of Tassie. 
particularly sporting stories, but I think it's it's a really unique perspective that, that you've put on this because I think being a Tasmanian athlete yourself, you've got an inside view into that, but yet you're you're learning and experiencing from from everybody else as well. And I think you're you're in quite a vulnerable position because I guess you're putting yourself out on a limb in sharing these stories from a really vast range of people. But I think it's really empowering. I think look, I've I read lots, I read all of the other stories. Um some of them I knew personally and some of them I didn't. And there are stuff in their each of their stories that I didn't even necessarily know, even though I know them personally. And I think that's a massive eye opener. For me it's like, hey, these guys are my friends and yet I'm still learning stuff from them. So I think having a platform like Tassie Athlete where we can, I guess, share and encourage each other um, is really, really powerful. And we can learn things from each other and I guess have an appreciation for each other as different athletes, whether we be like endurance athletes versus, I guess, sprint athletes or whatever it might be, even just diverse range of, you know, family backgrounds and experiences whether it be along the lines of you know like physical differences mental health like all of the stuff that Tassie Athlete encompasses I think is a really true representation of of what it means to be a to be a Tasmanian athlete and I think it's a really powerful platform um, that you've put together and I'm really grateful that I've been able to be a part of that and to I guess somewhat play a role in building Tassie Athlete and raising the awareness of it because I think what you have to offer and what in turn what Tassie Athlete has to offer can help a lot of people. You have definitely earned your cup of coffee or your cup of hot water, whatever you choose after they're very kind words. So look, thanks again, Iz, for taking the time out to chat with us today. You know, just to round things off, we've been incredibly fortunate to have the Brain Injury Association of Tasmania come on board and actually power this podcast today. And I know that you've done some work with Biot previously with Brain Injury Awareness Week and to raise awareness around concussion. You know, you also shared the story of how everyone's journey is actually different. Reflecting on your experience and everything that you've been through and telling your story through the Tassie Athlete, do you have any advice or tips or even words of encouragement, but not only for athletes or females specifically, but just for anyone that might be dealing with the challenges of concussion, you know, whether that's through sport or, or just in general? My advice is to be patient with yourself and that's... <laughs> far easier said than done but I think if you place that extra stress on yourself and the extra frustration that comes with being concussed and the impacts of that I think that only prolongs your recovery more so yeah be patient with yourself and I guess give yourself time to heal you've had a really significant traumatic event and that'll be with you for the rest of your life so I think it's about recognizing that and and dealing with it but as well as supporting yourself but also having a really good support network around you as said before I think that was what I owe my recovery to was to my support network so I guess just surround yourself with people that you love and that care for you and that want the best for you and remember that sometimes they might not seem like it but they are always trying to help Um, and I guess just trying to be patient with those people who are learning through the situation the same as you are. I think the incredibly wise words from someone, you know, that I know is still dealing with the challenges yourself of the of the concussion and the brain injury. So again, you know, on behalf of the Tassie Athlete team, thank you very much for your time, you know, and the people around you, people like your mum that have helped facilitate you know, both the article and things like the podcast and it never goes unrecognised. So Izzy, I know that COVID has thrown a few curveballs, you know, to future plans, but whereabouts should we look out for you uh, moving forward? Oh, look, who knows where life will take me. 
and I'm kind of really excited for that. Look, I would love to be racing internationally on the World Cup scene, but look, we'll wait and see. I think whatever the universe has in store for me, I'll, I'll be ready for it. So we'll wait and see. But I definitely think something involving two wheels and definitely something that's uh, interacting with female cycling is definitely where you'll see me in the future. Otherwise, probably coming up with an alternative hot water drink either way. What a fitting way to finish is thanks again for your time. And uh, we're really excited to be able to share in your successes, you know, not only in the interim, but in the long-term future as well. So I just want to, I guess, thank you and, and TA for giving me the opportunity to share my story. Although I was pretty nervous about doing it, I think it was definitely something that was worth doing in hindsight, looking back at it now. Um, the people that, the messages that I got and I guess the support um, that everyone had for me once I shared my story uh, was incredible. And I think I owe that to you guys. And I think that definitely helped me, I guess, feel confident and come to terms with my injury a little bit more once we shared this. So I think to you guys, a massive thanks from my behalf. Thanks again to Izzy for her time with the Tassie Athlete. We're really looking forward to bringing some more exciting stories and insight and content from athletes you know, across the whole of Tassie, no matter their sport, their ability or their achievements. That's what we're all about here at the Tassie Athlete. A special thanks again to the Brain Injury Association of Tasmania or BIAT as they're known. As, as I mentioned, they've done some work with Izzy around raising awareness of concussion and in particular that it can happen to anyone at any time, anywhere. You know, whether it is a small knockout on the field or whether it is a, a big crush like Izzy experienced, there's help out there and they should always be taken seriously. So thanks again to Byatt for their support of the Tassie Athlete and of Izzy. If you've got any questions, you know, you might think that you're experiencing some of the effects of a concussion, then you can visit their website, Byatt, biat.org.au so that's biat.org.au and their further contact info is on there as well we've got a super lineup of not only athletes but people involved in a range of sports in tassie and across our videos our articles and of course our exciting new podcast over at thetassieathlete.com.au as always thank you so much for your ongoing support we're looking forward to bringing you some more ta content very soon